Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to speak into an area that affects this whole element of reach as a church. It's something that we probably don't talk a lot about, but I think it is a powerful weapon for the future of the church in the way that we connect to the community that we're here to love and the community that we're here to serve. This morning, I want to talk to you on the topic of spiritual hospitality. Spiritual hospitality. Uh, Hospitality is actually a spiritual discipline. We don't hear about it like that very often. When you talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices of the believer, we talk about things that help us grow and help us in our walk with God that we would function as people who do make more of the name of Jesus in our world. So spiritual disciplines are things most often talked about, are things like um, our Bible reading, how we pray, how we have a gift, and how we serve. Uh, these are all spiritual practices that we have, um, uh, in a sense, to, to, to discipline ourselves and grow in. And one of those spiritual practices that we don't talk a lot about is the practice of hospitality. And I believe that this is something that uh, can be such a powerful vehicle of reach for the church. You know, in 1993, I had an experience in my life that changed me forever. It was the strangest experience. For the first time in my life, uh, I experienced Christian hospitality. Now, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't have a Christian upbringing. In fact, I left home very young. I left home while I was still in high school. And uh, so I wasn't raised in a Christian background. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking to experience Him. And so in 1993, I was 20 years old. I looked a million miles away from God. I had long hair down my back. It was dyed jet black. I was like an Asian Fabio. Uh, it was just amazing. Someone really, like, that's an Asian there. And uh, <laughs> it just hit his sweet spot right there. And uh, uh, I looked more like I sort of crawled out of a swamp than what than someone who was looking to go uh, to a church. And yet, I met a man by the name of Neil. And Neil was this insurmountably old man in my estimation. He was, he was 42 years old. He had a few kids. <laughs> now, now I am that insurmountably old person and I have the couple of kids. And, uh, and Neil, I thought Neil was just like me. You see, again, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, uh, I was a businessman, a young up-and-coming entrepreneurial sort of businessman. I was really passionate about business. So I was running a small, uh, unregistered, non-for-profit pharmaceuticals business um, (laughs) at the back of the bowling alley. Um, If you had Medicare, special benefits. If you had PBS, I mean, it was just fantastic. It was really, uh, I just had big plans. It was a a hydroponics business. It was, uh, you know... um, very much a franchise business, uh, you know. You know where I'm going, and, and so, so I wasn't. I wasn't looking for God. I was into the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I was into um, LSD and trances and all kinds of strange stuff. I was not looking for God. And so when I met Neil, I thought Neil was just like me, just an older version of me, because he grew up in St Kilda in the drug years of um, uh, drug dealing, and and I would share my stories, and he would share 
his stories. And I thought that we were kind of the same guy, but he was just a burnt out hippie. He was on the far end of it and had somehow grown up by having children and sort of, and, and sort of just got on with it. I just thought he just got his life together. Um, but as it turned out, uh, Neil was far sneakier than that. Neil was an undercover brother, right? Neil was a Christian ninja, right? A covert operating Christian brother. So he kept that from me for some time. And then one day when I was spouting out how we are all part of the universe and we are all part of God and how uh, the chair that you're sitting on is God and and I am God and good morning, worship me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was going through all this stuff and he goes, well, actually, I believe in God. In fact, um, I believe in Jesus. And I was so stunned and shocked by that. I was offended by that. Um, and yet, what I found is that I found that I was being drawn in to Christian hospitality. I didn't know it, but I just got to experience it. And so that night in 1993, I was in Neil and Kylie's home. They had three beautiful little kids, very young kids, and I was experiencing for the first time this spiritual atmosphere that was so foreign to me. I wasn't used to hospitality. I was governed by hostility. Uh, Hostility was my native tongue. I hated everybody evenly, equally. You were all welcome to be hated by me, and uh, everyone was invited, and yet I was experiencing this hospitality that was so foreign And it wasn't just about the food, although the food was incredible for me because when we grew up, we had the same thing every night for years. You know, we had sausages, mashed potato, peas, carrots, you got the same thing. And so I felt like this awkward, like an awkward character from the movie The Castle. You know, you're sitting there and you go, hey, what is it? Roast chicken. Uh, (laughs) Hey, what's that? It's amazing. What do you call it? potato bake. Uh, And for me, I was just amazed by it, but I wasn't amazed by their gourmet niceties. I was amazed at the atmosphere in the room. Their smiles, the joy that was so obvious. I'd never seen functional family like that. Uh, I wasn't used to it. I felt uncomfortable. My girlfriend was sitting there. She had this big smile on her face because she had just recently become a Christian against my goodwill. She had become a Christian and because she got invited away for some weekend away with her friends, I thought she was going out to party. Turns out she went to a Christian youth camp. She had an encounter with God that transformed her life. She, she came back saying, you know, I've now, I've now become a Christian. Had nothing to do with Neil. It was something separate. God himself was conspiring against me. Now my girlfriend's a Christian. Ew. Uh, you know, and, and so she was all excited about the possibility of, of, of me having some sort of spiritual conversion. And, and there we were sitting, and I was just amazed, experiencing this joy. Isn't it powerful that joy is a fruit of the Spirit? It's not a seed of the Spirit. A fruit you can taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. People should see the fruit of God in our life. Experience it for themselves, this incredible joy. And, and that was such a power. It's a fruit of the spirit, not a seed. So what that means is we don't get the right to say, you know what, I am joyful deep down on the inside. No, no, well, get what's on the inside up onto the outside. As, it's, as the saying goes, if you're happy and you know it, inform your face, right? Just, 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 come on, someone inform your... I'm happy on the, happy on the inside. We'll get it on the outside. And I experienced something of their joy in faith. You know, uh, and it transformed my life forever. There was something that happened that night that was deeply spiritual 
in my life and I felt like I was missing home. Not their home. I felt like I was missing a spiritual home. There's something powerful about spiritual hospitality. Spiritual hospitality is more than a dish. It's a disposition. It's how we engage people. It's how we connect with people. Spiritual hospitality, as a church, we love hospitality. Edge Church loves hospitality. It's probably known for its hospitality because of the food that we love. You come into our church and you will, you will find food. Food just goes flying around the foyer. You'll just run into food. There's food there. There's cafes at either end of the, of the lower auditorium and the foyer. You can't, I mean, mainly because we've got a disproportionate number of caffeine drug addicts in our church that we meet their needs. And, and, but, but, but there's more than the food. It's not a about the food. It's not a dish, it's a disposition. The food is for a function and the function is spiritual. Our hospitality is our evangelism because our hospitality is the way that we connect and engage with people. The theologian Henri Nguyen describes these two powerful forces that are at work in all of creation. And he gives them these, coins these Latin terms, hospice and hostess. Hostess is the word for which we will get hostility, hostile, hostage, a war host. Um, Hostess is about uh, how we respond to strangers. And when people are different to us and they're strange to us, we keep them at a distance because we fear that they will take something from us. Maybe they'll take from us something emotionally. Maybe they will take something of us uh, materially. But, but we've learned to distrust people. We live in a society that in general, in general terms, if they're not our same socioeconomic demographic, we have a level of suspicion. And so we push them away. That's hostess. Hostess is the default of the world in which we live in. But there is another force at work, and that's the force of hospice. Hospice is uh, the word where we get hospitality. It's where we get words like hospital or hospice care. Uh, it's the idea of the hostess with the mostess. It's the, it's the idea of hosting people and connecting with people. Um, this is the idea that I create safe places where strangers aren't pushed away but strangers are welcomed in and they're allowed to just be themselves. You can be comfortable here. You don't have to rush off. I'm not pushing you away because you're a stranger. I'm not sure about it. No, I create a safe place where strangers can become guests, guests can become friends, and one day friends will become family. Now, this is a spiritual discipline. This is something that we continue to grow in because it's more than personality. Hospitality is not just a personality thing, because for some of us we'll say, well, it's not my God shape, it's not my gifting. Well, it might not be your God shape, but it can be your Christ shape, right? Because, because our Christ shape is all about connecting and engaging people. You may have a unique personality, but we still engage people. We make rooms, safe places where strangers can become guests, guests can become friends, and friends can become family. I get challenged by that, personally, because now I am the insurmountably old man, the 42-year-old with a couple of kids. And sometimes I'm struck with the idea that I don't know whether I would welcome the 20-year-old me into my own house that looked like he crawled out of a swamp. And yet someone extended spiritual hospitality to me and it transformed our life. So here's the thing. The hospitality is important for many reasons. And I'm going to give you two this morning. And it's not the only two. There are probably many more. But... I want to talk about two reasons why hospitality is something that we want to practice, each and every one of us want to practice. Uh, 
in our life. Hospitality is important for these two reasons at least. It's important for our protection and it's also important for our activation. Our protection and our activation. Uh, some of you might be thinking, well, what, how does hospitality, how, what does that got to do with our protection? Well, simply this. In the beginning when God created, God spoke and everything that he spoke, it became. God created through the power of his words and incrementally in creation, we see that he stopped and celebrated his creation by saying, now that's good. Now, uh, each day he created something and celebrated it, but when he created man, when he created you and I, he altered his technique and he did something very different. God himself stooped down into his own creation and got his hands involved in the formation of mankind. He stooped down and he formed man out of the dust of the ground. And we see for the first time in history, the very first kiss in the human story, where God's lips touch mankind and he breathes life and man becomes a living soul. You're altogether different, you're altogether unique. How God created mankind is completely different to all other things in creation. When God, uh, previously to that, God just used the power of his own word. He just said the word and it became what he said it was. If God wanted to create a dog, he'd say, dog, and there was a dog. If God wanted to create a cat, he would take a raccoon and inject it with the DNA of Satan. And... Uh, <laughs> and say, you are cursed forever, and uh, you shall leave the garden. And, uh, you know, but, <laughs> but when he created you and I, he did something different. You are made in the image of God with dignity, honor, and respect. Part of the design and the dream of God has been implanted and imprinted on your life. There are some things because of who you are, uh, there's some things that are in you that mean that, that requires a need to be met. Now, for the first time in all of God's creation, God says in the narrative of Genesis, there's something that's not good. And when he says that there's something that's not good, it's not because sin has entered into his paradise yet, because sin hasn't entered into the paradise at this point. God says it's not good that man should be alone. You need somebody. You need family, you need friendship, you need connections. And some of us might think, no, not me, I'm independent, man, I'm strong, I don't need anyone. No, one day you're gonna need somebody and so hospitality is important for our protection because hospitality is moving from people who are strangers to guests, guests to friends, and friends to family, because one day you're going to need someone with you on the journey of life. When Jesus came and preached, Jesus said, in this world, in this life, you will have trouble. Isn't that an exciting promise to hold on to? You know, put that on your fridge. In fact, he goes on and say, each day has enough trouble of its own. There's something unique today. Oh, wake up every morning and say, there is unique trouble for me today. But the beauty of the Bible is that there is new mercies that are fresh every morning. We get fresh mercy for daily trouble. You know, and your trouble, your trouble isn't a sign that God's absent. Your trouble isn't a sign that God's absent because the Bible says that he's the ever-present help in time of trouble. God hasn't left you when you're in trouble. Sometimes your trouble is an indication that God is even closer than you thought he was. And you can experience something in times of trouble that you don't experience when things are doing great. You can be right in the will of God and go through trouble. You can be in the middle of the will of God and get crucified. You know, just ask Jesus. You can be right in the middle of the will of God. It's not an indication to, to whether or not you're doing good in God, whether you face trouble. But when you face trouble, 
You're going to need somebody. Your trouble, in fact, is inevitable. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 17, the Bible says, Jesus said to his disciples, like he would say to us, where is disciples? Jesus says to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Uh, He says they're bound to come, things that cause you to stumble. In fact, the original um, wording, the sentence structure, it's it's a, it required some interpretation for the NIV. The New King James does it a little bit different, a bit more literal, um, because in the original language, you put the importance of the sentence at the front to make sure that the emphasis is right. But it doesn't interpret well in English. It ends up like Yoda speak. You know how Yoda kind of says everything the other way around? So in, in, in the original language, it would say, impossible it is. <laughs> impossible, <laughs> impossible it is to go through life Without offenses, the word for stumble is the same word for offenses. It's the word scandalon in the original language. Sometimes it's, the word that is used is scandalizo. And it's the idea of a trap, a stumbling block, an offense, a snare. So what it means is you were going on the pathway. You're on the journey of life. You're walking and you're walking out your faith. And then there's something on your pathway that tripped you up. And Jesus says it's impossible to go through life with, without stumbling blocks, without traps, without offenses, without trouble. It's impossible to get through life without. And before we say, oh no, I was raised a Christian. I mean, I, be, I read my Bible every day. I'm not going to stump. No, no, impossible it is. Impossible it is to go through life without issues in your life that are going to challenge you and going to rock you. And so the key thing, one of the important things about, uh, about life is knowing that when I go through difficult circumstances, I've got someone there who can pick me up when I fall. I've got someone there that can help me navigate life. One day you're going to need somebody. That's why our hospitality is for our protection. Scandal on, offenses. We get the words like scandal. We go through life and we face such difficult scandals, things that throw us and rock us. You know, uh, John the Baptist spent his whole life pointing to Christ. He's the one, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is John the Baptist who leapt in the womb as a baby because he got near Jesus. He went rocking out just as soon as that belly got to him. He just, his whole life was about pointing people to Jesus and yet towards the end of his life, he's in a prison. He's in a prison awaiting his execution and he has to say to his friends, I need you to go find Jesus and find out if he really is the Christ because I'm not sure anymore. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and Jesus responds to them and says this, Matthew 11 verse 6, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Scandal on. He says, John, John, you're facing a stumbling block. You're facing an offense. Your offense is, I don't understand because I, he's offended because of me. He's offended because of what God should or shouldn't have done in his own machinations. What he thinks God should or shouldn't have done for him. And, and what, what, what Jesus says is, blessed is the man who's not offended because of me. You go back and you tell John what's going on out here because what's going on outside of his prison is, is blind people see, deaf people hear, the gospel's being preached, God's being glorified, people are making more of the name of God. You just go back and tell him because when we're in our place of containment, when we're in our place of limitation, when you've been placed in a box, when you've been placed in a prison and you don't know what God's up to, you're gonna need some friends with you. You're gonna need some family with you who can tell you the activity of God outside of the limitations of your pain, the limitations of your suffering, the limitations of your limits. Come on, you've gotta understand that there's something going on and when you get to that place, that scandal on you, you're going to need somebody with you. 
you know, they're bound to come. Jesus goes and preaches. And it says the, Bible, it says the people took offense at him, scandal on Because they said, come on, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know Jesus. And they were snared by their offense. Offenses trap you and offenses rob you. Uh, It robbed them of miracles. Peter, Peter, on the night before Jesus is betrayed, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, each and every one of you are going to fall away because of me. He uses the word scandal on, stumble, you're going to fall. You're going to fall away because of me. There's going to be something that happens that's going to cause you to fall. When you come back, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Peter's like so full of bravado. So no way, Jesus, I got you, brah. That's what it says in the Hebrew. I got you, brah, right? I got you, bro. Even if all these guys, they deny you, I will never deny you, Jesus. I'll, I'll die for you, man. I'll take a bullet for you. He gets all Bruno Mars. I'll catch a grenade for you. He's like, he's like I got you, Jesus. I hate you, man. You know, he's like, no way. And Jesus says, no, I'm telling you, there's something. It's going to cause you to stumble, something that's going to cause you to fall. And when Peter went on the other side of this, you're going to need your brothers. You're going to need your friends. Hospitality is where we move from strangers to guests, to friends, to family, because one day you're going to need somebody. One day when you go through these offenses and difficulties, you're going to need somebody. So the picture of scandal, scandal on offenses, is the idea of a snare or a trap. Now I brought with me a genuine, a genuine, what I call a genuine monkey trap. Uh, Thank you, Chris. It trapped Chris earlier. It was a monkey trap. Uh, this This is a monkey trap. There are cultures in the world um, where they set traps uh, for monkeys, both in Africa and some parts of India, and they have these techniques. They're just simple snares. And so for those of you who have monkey problems at home, um, <laughs> please take note, draw up a design. It's quite simple. You have, you have a jar. It has a small aperture, a small entrance point. To, you can see through it, and, and you get a rope, and you attach a rope to it, and and then you take something shiny, something like a little ball ball or, or, or maybe some peanuts or some jelly beans, if those of you who really are playing at home. And, uh, and what you do is you just put something shiny in there, just rattles around, and, and you go to where you need to set your monkey trap, um, like your Jesus sign, you know, because, you know, everyone knows if you're going to trap a monkey, you need it to use the power of Jesus' name. And, uh, and, and so you just, what you do is you tie it to something so that it can, uh, you know, so you need an S some sort of S, um, so tie it to, if you've got an S or, or the word sus, uh, you know, tie it to something that's sus, and, uh, and, and, and you set your trap, and, and you can just walk away now, because as long as it's in a monkey area, that trap is going to do its work. Now, eventually, a monkey's going to come along, and they're going to look at this thing, and they're going to go, mm, look at that shiny thing, look at that shiny thing, I've got to get that shiny thing, I've got to get that shiny thing, or they might go, mm, I, I, I smell something, I smell some food, I've got to get that food, I've got to get something in there, and so what they do is they grab the monkey trap, and they reach in to get that thing, that thing in there, and they can get their little hand in, they get their hand in, and then they make a fist and they grab hold of it. Now, once they've got hold of it, they've got hold of their thing, and they're not going to let go of that thing. Right now, the monkey hunter springs his trap. He runs out with a blanket to throw upon them so that they can't see where they're about to be dragged off to and taken away to somewhere where they don't want to go. And here's the thing. The monkey's got his fist in this jar and he can't get his fist out of the jar because his fist is too large for the escape. But all he needs to do, all he needs to do is simply let it 
come on. When we take offence, when there's an issue, you didn't, offence didn't get dumped on you. You took offence. You got hold of it. It's something that's bothering you. It's something that's hurt you. It might be a disappointment. Someone might have betrayed you. Someone might have, someone might have done something to you, said something about you. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's something in your workplace. Maybe it's something that you think God should or shouldn't have done. And you're still holding on to it. And you're trapped by it. And you can't go on in the journey of life because it's got hold of you. But all you need to do is... Let all you need to do is let it go and be free. And when we have friendships in our life, real friends, real friends and family, they're the kind of people that can come alongside you and say, it's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. In this life, you will have trouble, stumbling blocks. Ecclesiastes puts it like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You know, it's such a joy in church life to see when people go through different circumstances of life and there's all these people there to pick them up. But it's also very painful to see when people go through challenges but they have no one there to pick them up. And the time to build those relationships are not in the middle of your crisis the time to build those relationships are right now. So we, we adopt hospitality because we know that they're the relationships that are going to support us in the future. Strangers become guests, guests become friends, friends become family. It's not just for our protection, but it's also for our activation. Hospitality is an activation, it's a spiritual activation. Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, says this, "'Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters.'" Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, The book of Hebrews, the writer says, you keep growing in this, that's why it's a spiritual discipline. Keep growing in your love for strangers. He uses um, the word philoxenia, which is the word for brother, philo is the word for brotherly love, that's why you got Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, um, and, and, and xenos is the idea of stranger, so we understand things like xenophobia in our world, where people, because of the fear of races and different differences in cultures, all kinds of atrocities are committed because of xenophobia, but he's saying that for the Christian believer, you keep growing, the natural sanctification process in our life is that we actually start to have a love for strangers. We don't push them away. The nine people that are situated around you, they're not part of an audience. This is not an audience. This is a family. This is a community. Those, those nine people around you, they are made in the image of God with dignity, honor, and respect, and there's something beautiful about them that God is bringing out. So I value them. So we grow in our love for strangers. And the, the book of Hebrews, these guys, they say, you know, because some people have entertained strangers, and as they've entertained strangers, they've been entertaining angels without knowing it. Now, that's a little bit, it can be a little bit of a spooky verse for some people, and some people get a bit carried away with what that could be, and you know, you had someone over for dinner, you didn't know them, maybe they're from an episode of Touched by an Angel, and uh, you know, they left, and you found an angel feather, and you found out it was just magpie season. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, come on, we've got to move on from Candyland Christian Church sometimes, and actually go, well, what is this actually speaking about? 
Because the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people who have history. They, they've been brought up to hear these stories. They don't hear it in a vacuum. They can connect it to something. They would be asking themselves, yeah, when, when, when did we hear this story about entertaining angels without knowing it? When did we hear this? And they would think back and they'd go, that's right. It was Abraham, our father of faith. That goes back to Genesis 18. We learned this in school. We grew up hearing this. There is a story where these three strangers, the Bible calls them strangers, Strangers. These strangers appear in Abraham's place, and, and Abraham engages them with philozenia. He engages them with a love for strangers. He doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know where they've come from, but he goes to them quickly, and he says, no, come in. You know, let me create a safe place where you can be comfortable. Uh, you know, you, you, I'm not pushing you away. I'm drawing you in. Uh, come, come, sit down. Uh, let me wash your feet, which is an incredible picture of, of humility and servant leadership and stooping and honoring others above ourselves, preferring one another and loving one another. And let me, let me wash away. Let, rest from the journey. Don't go rushing off. Take your time. You can belong here. You can, you can take, a, take rest here. And he creates that refuge. Then he's, then he's baking bread. He's saying, Sarah, bake some bread. She's got the BC Thermomix cooking. You know, he's got the, some gluten-free high fiber going on there and get some bread. Get the tender calf. You know, the calf. It's the tender calf. They've been massaging it, massaging it most of its life, playing classical music to it, and then they put it in a hungy, right? And then they, then they roasted it for 17 hours, and, and, and the tender calf and some milk curds. I mean, it's a three-course meal. It's, it's entree, main, and dessert. And, and he creates this place of hospitality, and suddenly what seemed to be just normal and natural becomes spiritual. Hang on, I'm entertaining. You know what an angel is, right? It's a messenger from heaven. It's a messenger from the reality of the throne room of God's presence, taking something from heaven and bringing it to earth and bringing a message. There is a supernatural message in spiritual hospitality. There's a supernatural, in 1993, I experienced supernatural revelation through something that was very natural. It was normal food. It, was a, it, wasn't, it wasn't the holy chicken of Antioch. It wasn't the spud of God, right? It was just food, right? But, but God came rushing into the room and met with me. And there in Genesis 18, suddenly God's word comes and revelation comes into that place and says, Abraham, there is a seed coming through you. You don't have the ability to produce it. It's going to come through God. Even though you're in old age, you're going to have a child. He's going to be the promised seed from Genesis. He's going to be the Savior. of The Savior's coming through you. A Messiah is coming through you. God, this is impossible. Sarah's eavesdropping on the conversation and she's overhearing it and she's laughing because it's so impossible because Hebrew says that Abraham was as good as dead. In other words, it's a Greek word called necros. Abraham's a walking corpse and she's hearing God say, and now's the time to put Barry White on, right? Now's the time. And she thinks it's the funniest thing she's ever heard. What a joke. And then God challenges her on it and says, come on, Sarah, why did you laugh? I'm trying to bring you revelation. She lies to the face of God. I didn't laugh. And then the chapter, the story sort of ends really awkwardly by God saying, yes, you did. Okay, turn the page, let's move along. <laughs> Supernatural revelation in something that is so normal. Our every day, when we then invite God in, we may be hosting strangers, but there may be something of revelation in our midst. They may be strangers to us, but they're not strangers to God. 
And God somehow takes something so normal, so secular, and turns it into something sacred. This is like, in a sense, it's like the sacrament of hospitality. We have sacraments as Christians, you know, sacraments, you know, like you have baptism. Baptism is a sacrament. What is baptism? Well, baptism is something that is deeply spiritual. Uh, but, but, But you think about it. The water is just ordinary water. It's not magic water. It's not super holy water. It's just water. In fact, in Adelaide, it's Adelaide water, and I'm surprised not more people are dead because of our baptisms. You know, it's pretty bad water. And, and yet, and yet it, God takes what is normal water and turns it into something deeply spiritual where people have a death, burial, resurrection experience in God because suddenly something that is natural becomes supernatural. Sacraments like communion. What is communion? Communion is just ordinary bread and ordinary, ordinary wine. In fact, in our world, it's hardly even that. It's like a cracker and a little thimble of juice, you know, a little popper, I don't know, a little bit of juice here, and it's not even Barossa's best. It's, not, it's, it's, just, it's just bread and a cup of something. And, and, and yet, and yet we this bread and this cup, suddenly it becomes a moment where I see the glory of Jesus. I remember the power of the cross. I have a revelation of His grace. I'm transformed by the fact that it is finished, has nothing to do with me. I'm completely transformed because what is natural then becomes supernatural. And the same is true for our spiritual hospitality. It's just food. It's just coffee. But suddenly when we make room for God, it becomes a revelation of the presence and power of God. Hospitality is a vehicle of evangelism. It's a vehicle of reach that transforms people's lives. I never get tired of seeing it. It's amazing. Had a man come to our church, had a horrendous background, years of gangs, and never wanted to come to church. He'd just come out of prison. And one of the people that ministered to him in prison said, you need to go to this church. If you, get, you just got to give it one chance. You go to this church. He goes, do you think I'm the kind of guy that goes to church? He's a big man covered in tattoos, he's got tattoos on his face, and he was so deeply insecure about coming to church. He was such a big man, he was just a child on the inside. Because he thought, how am I gonna walk into that church in the moment these Christians see the tattoos on my face? You think I'm gonna be welcome there? It's a stranger. And yet he came. In the economy of God, he came. And he walked into the foyer of our church, and it just so happens that on that day, his name was Moose. Moose. You know you got an interesting background when your name's Moose, right? <laughs> so Moose comes into church that day, and he walks in, and he sees another man sitting there with tattoos on his face. His name's Mad Dog. <laughs> Moose and Mad Dog. It's a match made in heaven, right? <laughs> Suddenly he was welcomed in. Come sit down, come here, sit down. Let me get you a soy chai latte, you know? <laughs> These two guys just began to, <laughs> began to connect. Strangers become guests, but then guests become friends. You know, my name's not Moose. My name's Jason. Well, that's good. My name's not Mad Dog. It's Kevin. Ah. <laughs> uh, And he belongs long enough to experience something supernatural. It's just ordinary coffee. But suddenly God comes sweeping into the room. This is a picture of Moose. This is Moose at his baptism. His story story was he used to sit and listen to our worship and go, amazing grace. What's amazing grace? He said, I thought amazing grace was a tea lady. But now I know amazing grace 
is my story. And his life was transformed. But one of the powerful vehicles was that there was just a place of hospitality. Strangers are strange because when we look at them, they're strange to us. A stranger is someone that we look at and go, they're strange. (laughs) But maybe the next time you see someone go, they're strange, maybe just think, this could be a place I can create where they can just be themselves and God can come in. Come on. You know, we had... uh, our church down in Ranello, it's this big white building and people drive by it. They're not sure who it is. I've had people come there. Um, they say they always thought it was an abattoir, you know, and uh, uh, other people thought it was all kinds of things. One lady came on a Sunday morning. This is the classic. One lady came to our church on Sunday morning because uh, she woke up and she just had a big week and, and she felt like she needed to go to the gym and she thought to herself, oh, there, there is that gym, that gym on the, on the hill, that big white gym, uh, Edge Gym or something. You know, yeah, I'll go to Edge Gym. And she came to Edge Gym in a tracksuit, you know, ready to go, ready to bust it out. And, uh, and she comes in, she goes, this is not a gym, right? She thought it was a Zumba class, but it was just worship, right? And she comes in and she, and she's like, and she comes in and you know what? And she came in and she was so offended. She was so offended. She stood up the back. She was so angry. She folded her arms because she was an atheist. She's an atheist. And she, she tells a story like this. She goes, oh, I was an atheist. I was an atheist who hated God. And I always find that very funny because apparently God doesn't exist, right? But you, she deeply hated God. And I'm like, but you don't believe in God, right? So you've got nothing to hate him for. And, and she, she came and she was a strange, er, she was hostile, hostess. But she was met with hospice. She was met with care and concern and coffees and food and connection uh, she said, I, I can't stand this. I can't stand this place. And she, she left and she can't stand these Christians who do this and preach this. I can't stand it. Don't like it. Don't like what you preach. Don't like what you're singing about. And she goes home and she says, you know what? I hate that place. I'm going back there. I'm going back there. I'm going back to that place. I'll just give, give that place a piece of my mind. And, you know, so she come back again, stood up the back, arms folded. I hate this. I hate this. hate this place. She goes back home following week. I'm going to go back to that place. I'm going to go back to that place. And eventually, she belongs long enough to believe something practical, revelation comes into her life. You know, you never know what's going on in people's heart because this is her story. She goes, she goes home and uh, and her story is this. She says, you know, I, I really got honest with God and I, for the first time in my life, I started to pray. But it's not the kind of prayer that I can tell you about because it's a swear prayer. (laughs) Because the reason I'm angry at God is because of my son. Who was five years old and had a severe form of autism and couldn't talk. And she just blamed that on God by default. And that's the reason why she hated God. And so that morning in front of her bathroom mirror, she said a real prayer with God. And the gist of it was, God, if you're real, have my son speak. The boy comes around the corner. He says, hello, mommy. My name's Chojo. He's never spoken in his life and speaks for the first time. And she realizes the eyes of God are on me. When we create safe places, You never know what supernatural things 
can happen in people's lives. We take what is natural and God does something supernatural. Strangers become guests, guests become friends. One day, friends are part of the family. Each and every one of us has the ability to engage the community in this way. This is not run by a small group of leaders. It's not run by a pastoral team. This is one another. Every single one of us has the ability to reach people with the gospel and make more of the name of Jesus simply by the way we value people. You're important to God, so you're important to me. We can do this in so many ways. You can have people into your own home, into your own space. And we need low, low maintenance hospitality. It's not about your gourmet niceties. It's not about whether you're a master chef contestant. It's not about the china you have or the tablecloths you have. When I think of 1993 in Neil and Kylie's house, I don't remember their address. I don't remember what car they drove. I don't remember how good their furniture was. Don't know whether their carpet was clean. Don't even know whether their, their kitchen was large enough. I don't know any of that. I just experienced the grace of God. Don't worry about what you got. Just open it up for God and let God do something powerful in your life. Kick the toys into the corner. Kick the, 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 the things in the corner. Kick the cat and then kick the cat. Kick, kick the cat. Kick, but just, just move that stuff to the side. Create a place where God can come sweeping into the room. Don't let your house be something that prevents you from spiritual hospitality. This is our house. This house, not just your home, but this place, it's our house. This is not an audience, this is a family. Bring people into this place and make them feel welcome. Bring people into this place, make them feel like they belong. Even if you didn't bring them, have an eye for the people that you know are not new, that you know they're not, not, not uh, normally here, and have a love for strangers. Learn to engage people, create a safe place. Join a team that serves in the church. Why? Because when you join a team and serve in the church, you get front row seats to God's welcome in people's lives. Front row seats. Because at the end of the day, you and I, each and every one of us here, are recipients of the greatest expression of hospitality. We are recipients of the hospitality of God in Jesus Christ. That God himself would, would leave home to reach people that were estranged from him. You and I were aliens and strangers from God. And God himself tore a hole in the ceiling of the universe and stepped into our humanity, into the brokenness and, and dirt and the straw of Bethlehem's manger because he wanted to bring his love to you when you were away from him, when you were far from him. He doesn't come to you with hostility. He comes to you with hospitality. Some people think that God's out to get them, that God's hostile towards them. God doesn't hate you. God's not trying to get even with you. God got even at the cross. God got even at the cross. Jesus himself, Jesus himself took our place and upon that cross, he experienced the greatest expressions of hostility. They crucified him outside the city gate. They rejected him. He experienced hostility, his beard torn. He was mocked and bruised, crowned of thorns upon his brow. He became sin so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. Upon the cross, when the earth went dark, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God the Father turned his eyes from God the Son, at that moment when he gave up his spirit, he said, eh, 
is finished. It's paid in full. It's done. It's over. It's something that we receive, church. It's not something that we achieve. At that moment, the curtain into the holiest places of God was torn from the very top to the bottom because it was God's way of opening up the doors and saying, welcome home. He is the God of hospitality. And when you experience hospitality like that, how can we turn people away from the doors when we have experienced something so great and deep within our lives? Because you and I have experienced the hospitality of heaven. And so we carry it in our hearts everywhere we go. You and I, we were strangers, but we became guests. We were guests that became friends. And now we're part of the family. We are children of God, for that is what we are. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 